This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Somehow, the end of the regular season is upon us as we'll discuss Georgia State's upcoming finale in Norfolk against Old Dominion. We'll also get the brooms out as we discuss the Panthers completing a sweep of a back-to-back against Little Rock on the basketball court. But first, uh, Brady, I thought we'd uh, take a second to discuss our trip down to Baton Rouge this past weekend to watch the Panthers take on LSU. Now that we're not driving down the interstate while we're putting a pod together, a little bit of time to really give some breath to this trip we just took. And and I let you be on the mic, which you would not have been really able to do in that instance. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, what was it? Seven and a half hours, which really did not seem like that bad of a drive. All things considered, uh, headed out Friday morning, uh, made a stop, got some Fusakli's chicken fingers down in Mobile. And we were in Baton Rouge about what? Five o'clock, 530 p.m. local time. Get the, yeah. Yeah. Get the boost from the central yeah. time conversion. Before we even do the trip part of it, like. The drive made me realize, and it's dumb because you look at times on a, like an estimated time of arrival thing. You're like, okay, it isn't really that far, but like five and a half hours feels like a lot longer than it actually is. My first takeaway was non-GSU, LSU, Baton Rouge related. It was just like, wow, Hattiesburg is super drivable. Mobile is super drivable. So like the next time those are reasonably on the travel schedule... I'm definitely locking and loading on making that trip happen. Like say if South Alabama is on the road schedule for 2024 in football, which is certainly possible when I look at all the permutations. Right. And even just uh, building off of that, Lafayette is not that much further than Baton Rouge and neither is Monroe. Like it's, it's doable. You can drive anywhere in the Sun Belt except San Marcos, Texas with within a day and it not be a, like a life ruining experience. It was actually, it was an enjoyable drive. And that's not something we could say so much about the trip to Coastal, per se. But, no, it was a good trip. Uh, pretty much trouble-free. Had a nice, relaxing night at the hotel. Brady found a, a really good pie place. He says he's a healthy yeah, pie down, uh, down in Baton Rouge. I don't know. I don't remember what street it was on. But he's, he just turns to me and says, hey, you want, you want to go get some pie? Like, pie? Like, what? Like, apple pie for dinner? He's like, no, they got, they got savory pies. They got meat pies. And we go in there. And uh, which one did you have? Did you have the chicken one? Yeah, the poulet pot pie, as they say down in the bayou. And then I had, it was like a, a seafood combination. I think it was crawfish, uh, crab, and shrimp. It was really good. Really, really good stuff. So that, I guess, is an official Thursday night podcast food wreck, if any of you are ever in Baton Rouge. But no, it was, it was a good time. Yeah, and I mean, Tiger Stadium has advertised... Um, you just you see these stadiums on the outside and you realize just how massive they are and how just kind of like the works of art these stadiums are and seeing like the game day operations around these SEC you know media operations and all that goes into it and all the people out uh, tailgating it is just this whole other world where Georgia State is and it, it does make you look forward to a time when Georgia State can more resemble that but obviously not in really any kind of realistic terms replicated, but they certainly love their football down in Baton Rouge and uh, it, a bad crowd for them, which was still announced in the 100,000s, um, would be a very welcome crowd around Atlanta for sure. And uh, discuss the football side of things, but 
as kind of a general point on it as well that I hadn't touched on when we talked about the game. After the two games last year against South Carolina and North Carolina, and even bleeding into the Charlotte game, immediately the injury bug hit, and it felt like a bit of a bloody blow thing. And Georgia State got a player back in this game, Jakai's Cradle. They didn't, to my eyes, lose anyone. And so coming off of a game where you lost 56-14, I think because the defense was just giving up these big chunk plays and the LSU only ran, I think, 53 plays from scrimmage, they avoided like the usual body blow you get traditionally when you face these big teams. And so I guess the way it played out might have worked out for the best. And it doesn't feel like they're in like an awful position having played this in game 11. Uh, I will talk about the Fusaklis in a second, but you heard it here first, folks. 56 to 14 losses. It's, you know, that's what we're looking for when it comes to clean health. This is this is what it looks like in terms of a good omen. I mean, if you're talking about 56-14 where they ran 80 plays, it's a different caliber of just going and getting beaten up. It certainly is. LSU's offense was too good for Georgia State to really get a, that type of a beatdown. They just got to beat down on the scoreboard. And I, I can't tell if that's a good thing, a good thing going into the end of what this Panthers season is or a bad thing just in terms of competitive football play. But, you know, that's neither here nor there, truthfully. Um, obviously, I didn't travel, but I just wanted to say thank you for the Fusakli shout out because Fusakli's is very good and I miss it. Yeah, I mean, I've only gone twice now, once when I was in Pensacola for the Sunbelt basketball tournament and this time we were going through Mobile. It's like, hey, let's look for that on the exit signs. And you got to hit up your local fair wherever you're at. And that is, we are at least driving through the area. And when you're in Mobile, got to hit Foos. It's good stuff, man. It's it, like, it. I don't know. I don't know what kind of like discourse about chicken fingers has erupted in this country over the past 15 years, but I'm here for it. It's good stuff. It's better than Raising Cane's, better than Zaxby's. Um, trying to think of anybody else who might be relevant to where we are but yeah absolutely absolutely check it out but that is not the only food experience we had on this trip because on the way back i was greatly pleased to be witness to brady's first ever bucky's experience and i tweeted about this i don't know if you saw it or not uh listeners you saw i know brady saw it because i showed it to him before i hit send but uh yeah i had to make some sort of comment about that so outside of you uh just saying it was overwhelming to me in the car when we were, we're sitting there eating our brisket sandwiches. Uh, any other thoughts about the beaver paradise over in Auburn? Yeah. So I guess I should clarify a little bit. I have had Bucky's brought to me. I think in a stuck stuffing, uh, stocking stuffer, either last Christmas or the Christmas before I had gotten some of the beaver nuggets. And so it wasn't like a total brand new experience because I had had that. And so I knew that that was what I was looking for when I entered the premises. And the other part of it was after saying all of that about it's not that bad of a drive, yada, yada. It was the end. Uh, you know, is the Bucky's in Auburn. So we were right there near on Sunday night, close enough to where I was like, I don't want this to be a whole to do. I want this brisket that Jordan has promised is good. I want to grab some beaver nuggets to go and get out of here. And so I will fully admit I need to go back to kind of give it its due and be there for longer than like five, 10 minutes. Cause I was pretty in and out. Like I went point A to point B to check out, to get back to the car and eating and uh, getting ready to get back out of there. 
But there were a lot of things I like side-eyed that I was like, oh, if I was here again more regularly, I I would be all about all these, you know, pastries, all that stuff. There was so much left on the table, but that's a good thing. And so it's going to be on my radar basically anytime I'm going west of Atlanta for any of these travels. And as I just talked about earlier, that's on the docket now. Yeah. And the fun part is it's not just going west out of Atlanta, because if, you, if you're going up north, say to like Chattanooga or something, there's one on I-75. If you're going south, there's one on I-75. If you're going northeast, there's one in, I think, one of the Carolinas. We, we couldn't hit it going to Charlotte or Coastal. But I'm just saying, depends on where the bowl game is, might drag you to another one. There's, there's lots of You will not be doing any sorts of dragging. <laughs> I, I think we were talking about it. I mean, Georgia is kind of a Bucky's graveyard or a, a Bucky's wasteland. There is one that just recently opened in like coming, I think. Uh, there's one somewhere, but it's not particularly close to the greater Atlanta area. And I think it's a Dalton or somewhere up Dalton, there on maybe, 75. Maybe, but... I feel like it must be like the QTs just had a monopoly and racetrack to a lesser extent to where there's like as many of them. It's like the Waffle House of gas stations that there's one every couple of miles. And I feel like that must be like a thing where they're they're not seeing the the market share. And it is kind of a place that you're stopping off on the highway that is an alert. But I am disappointed that like the closest one is where it's at because it's a winner for me. Well, it is. I think it's one of those things where it was one of those. It's a, a privately owned company. Uh, there's there's all sorts of like video essays and stuff on YouTube. If, if you have absolutely nothing better to do with your time, there's, there's a couple of good ones. But they have only recently within the past several years started expanding out of Texas. So Georgia was actually one of the first places that got another one outside of them building them in Texas. I think we, we got those before they built the one in uh, Auburn. There's another one somewhere else in Alabama. But uh, you did. And I will say it's very funny to me because the Texans are very mad that the, I believe the one that y'all went to is the officially the biggest one. Um, and the Texas, Texas people are very mad that they built the biggest ones and bigger ones outside of Texas. Well, they just have to get good. Build another one. Yeah, sounds like, like a personal months. problem. <laughs> they certainly have no problem making things bigger in Texas. So I'm sure someone will rectify that. Well, I don't think we need to uh, proselytize for the beaver anymore, but uh, I, did, I did want to make sure we brought that up because that, that was a fun experience. Great trip. Always fun. And I also just wanted to take a moment to thank the people that have been supporting us as VIPs over on Panther Talk, because that kind of support is what makes it possible for us to go and do these road trips. It contributes to all that it gives us the excuse to go and say, hey, let's do what do we do Four road trips this year? It's bonkers. It's, it's just so much fun to get to do this. So I really just wanted to say thank you to those of you who've been supporting in that way. And of course, listeners for the podcast as well. Yeah, this has been my most ambitious year. Did Sunday Media Days. And then, yeah, we did 10 of the 12 football games in person, which I think adds a dimension. You know, for me personally, being there, it feels different. And I hope that the times that I'm able to be there in a stadium, there's a difference in the coverage I'm able to provide uh, because what it's all about getting there in person and we really made it happen this year happy for us proud of us and uh thanks for everyone who has allowed that to happen long may it continue and looking forward to more in the future as basketball season is still upon us there's still places to go there's a bowl game on the horizon as well uh really really uh yeah echo a lot of what jordan said he had a better uh, he put a better pin on it than i did i'm still kind of rambling here
All I can say is it sounds like you're trying to go to the Maui Invitational when Georgia State becomes ranked and is back at the top of the mountain in basketball. So excited to see how we do that. Look, Delta's ready when we are. Hawaii is one of those states that I just want any excuse to go there. I want to get to all 50 states. Like if so, any like if there's a basketball tournament in Alaska, I would suddenly be making moves to make that happen. Like those are not doable trips just on a whim. But if there's any reason at all, I'm jumping on. So you did not hear that incorrectly, David. Well, we'll we'll see what transpires in the future. But let's go ahead and put a bow on that for now because we've got plenty of other stuff to talk about football and basketball. And let's go ahead and move on into our Sun Belt Roundup this past week. ULM headed to Oxford, Mississippi to face Ole Miss and were defeated 35-3. to Army hosted Coastal Carolina and beat the Chanticleers by a score 28 to 21. Southern Miss headed into Stark Vegas to face the Mississippi State Bulldogs and were defeated 41 to 20. App State heads up to JMU College Game Day. Somehow that game was only broadcast on ESPN Plus, but I digress. Uh, 26 to 23 final score in favor of the Mountaineers there on a wild finish in overtime with a uh, touchdown after James Madison kicked a field goal. Fantastic game. One of my favorite games that I was able to watch part of this year. Uh, but moving on, because this next one's a real doozy. Arkansas State, the Red Wolves, my God, 77 points. 77, two sevens, seven, seven, 77 points. Victors over Texas State, 77 to 31. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, moving on, moving on. Troy hosted Louisiana, defeated the Raging Cajuns 31 to 24. South Alabama hosted Marshall, blanked the Thundering Herd 28 to nothing. And Old Dominion headed down to Statesboro and defeated Georgia Southern 20 to 17. Gentlemen, thoughts on this week in the Sun Belt? Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, like, I saw at least one national person kind of say apps uh, JMU was their second favorite game of the college football season behind Oregon and Washington. I'm sure a lot of people who didn't tweet that exact same thing, share that sentiment uh, from what I was able to watch, which is basically like the final two minutes and then the overtime period heck of a game. And uh, I don't know. I was leaning like that just JMU was the best team in the Sun Belt east at least and that they would handle business but there was a part of me that remembered that james madison had gone to boone and erased a 28-3 lead that app state had and came back to win that game in their sunbelt opener last year and i obviously knew app had been playing better because i had seen that in person in atlanta and there was a part of me that wasn't willing to let go of the idea that like they were going to do this thing and be the team to take them down and sure enough they did the thing um App are still doing the thing in the Sunbelt East. Um, it did not seem like this was the year it was going to keep happening, but they're in a situation where if they can win at home against a Georgia Southern team who's lost three straight at this point um, at home, avenge last year's loss they had down in Statesboro. As long as Coastal can't do what they did and upset James Madison down in uh, Conway this week, App's going to go play Troy in the Sun Belt title game. When very realistically, a month ago, everyone was having questions about like, 
what's going to happen with Sean Clark? Is it this year or is it next year? Because clearly it's not working. Uh, they stayed the course and they have gotten back to where they have basically always been since joining the conference and uh, foiled once again everyone who was praying for their downfall. Truthfully, it, uh, this program is hilarious. Um, that game was hilarious. Um, and I, you know, we don't really go in depth with these particularly. I want to be very clear about something though. At the start of the fourth quarter, it was 17 to five game. Like that was not a, a game in favor, that, of app. in favor of app. Yes. Like that was not a game that James Madison one looked good in. And two, like it really much, it seemed like it was just going to be a very sleepy mid afternoon slate sunbelt game. You know, that sorry, kicked off at one, but by the end of the, by the end of the third quarter, it looked like, okay, you know, what else is on app States kind of got this under control. And then the last 15 minutes. And then honestly, not even the last 15 minutes because James Madison did score to make it a 12, 17, a 17 to 12 game. App State came right back down with a very long drive, uh, 20 to 12. And then it really felt like, okay, James Madison is dead. Like, like it's not going to happen. And I just, it was just big play after big play. Not within 18, I think. Yeah, not obviously the fourth and 18 is a defined big play, but it wasn't even just big plays as in a lot of yards. Like James Madison just kept being on the field. App State, their defense had been good all game. They just couldn't get off the field. And, you know, there was the fourth and 18, then the touchdown right after that. Um, truthfully, just a wild game. And honestly, I thought that Joey Aguilar was going to lead them down the field in regulation. Um, I, I, the sense of urgency wasn't really there, but they got a couple of those big plays. And then there was the 27-yard run, and I was like, okay, they're just playing for field goal range. They've got a timeout. I, I think they had one timeout. Um, and they were going to be fine. And it, it, he ended up throwing an interception. But truthfully, an incredible game. Um, an incredible game because of the Sunbelt standings as well. Um, it doesn't move. Nobody has moved, but it's, I mean, the, the door just never, ever, ever shut on the Mountaineers. Um, and I have, I don't know how I think this weekend is going to go down, but like at, at this point, it wouldn't surprise me for them to just end up going to Troy and being the Sunbelt East representative and being, you know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous that a month ago we were talking about like, okay, like is, is, is Clark going to survive? Or are they going to skip a bowl? Are they going to miss a bowl game for the second straight year? Here they are, seven and four. Look like they do always. So, and it's impressive because I mean, he brought in Frank Ponce, who's the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, had been there at App before, and there was a real quarterback battle because they hadn't had anyone coming back. Chase Bryce was done, and Aguilar didn't even start the year having the job. And it felt like they got more comfortable with him as the guy and they have started throwing it more to where they threw it, I think, upwards of 40 times in this game. They ran it in the 20s, which Sean Clark, offensive line coach in App State is kind of their brand is run the ball, all that stuff. Pivoting and just going with what's been working for you, I think, is what's helped them turn it around. And we saw that in the game against Georgia State as well. I guess the local angle is it's at least a vindication that App is pretty decent um, going up to Matt Harrisonburg and beating JMU. It would be worse, I would say. I don't think that anything is going to make the 28-point loss there to either of those teams by the same score. Feel it 
really any better, but I do think it would have been worse if like they had gone up and lost by 30, 30 plus to JMU in that game. And it's like, ah, well, this was a beatable team that you did not play well against, but you know, that's why you lost heavily. Like they seem to be peaking at the right time. And so it does, it does give credence to like, you play a team when you play them and sometimes you line up against them when you shouldn't, like you don't want to be playing them. And I feel that that's the case with App State because it's felt like something has finally clicked for them. And you say you don't know what's going to happen this weekend. I obviously also don't have a crystal ball, but the result that would shock me most at this point is App losing or Coastal beating JMU. But really it would be the App losing part. Like I feel like they've got this back where they want it and, they're in Boone. Like it feels like this is all set up to be what everyone kind of had written off a month ago, which is what brings us back to this sport. Cause you can never predict it. You can never week to week know what's going to happen because teams take a transformation for the better or for the worse. And that's why you play all 12 games. Speaking of playing all 12 games, all 13 I, games. Uh, yeah. This is where you're going, where I think you're going. We're getting no. the 13th game in Jonesboro. <laughs> That's true. Um, I was going to go first and talk about Marshall, though, because I am just shocked at their... Uh, coll- is collapse a good word? Like I, I feel like collapse is a good word, because after the Old Dominion game, I mean, they were... Even after the NC State game, they were in a good spot, but like... Dude, the offense has scored. I just said dude on the podcast. The offense has scored in the single digits five times, four times in the last like month, month and a half. And they, they couldn't is get zero a single anything. digit or is it I, just I, a nothing digit? <laughs> I was about to say, I don't even know if you can count the zero they scored against South Alabama. Uh, like they didn't score in the single digits. They didn't score in the single digits. Is, is Arkansas State going to drop 80 on them this week? Like, I, I don't know. All right. So you brought it up. There was some randomness in this. In the Arkansas State, 77. I'm not going to repeat it as many times as Jordan, but like for emphasis, 77. They actually got outgained by, Arkansas, uh, by Texas State in the game. There were two pick sixes and a fumble return for a touchdown, all for Arkansas State. And there were some big explosive runs that on shorter fields, maybe that turned into scoring plays for Arkansas state. Um, Like down to down from what I was able to follow with this, it just kind of got out of hand in a little blip. And it was like, Oh, this is just, they're, they're not coming back from this. And then it just got worse and worse. And honestly, they could have, they could have scratched 80. They could have played around with 90. Like, the 77 happened with, I think, like 10 or 11 minutes left in the game. Yeah, it was early fourth quarter, like very early fourth quarter when they hit 77. Respectable Butch Jones calling off the, the Wolves because um, he didn't need anything at that point. Because the thing is, is they just needed the sixth win. They got there when, again, we talked about just now about how Sean Clark had some question marks. Butch Jones had like... What do you call the the question mark with the exclamation point behind it? That is an interrobang. Yeah. There were several of those behind his name after the first couple of weeks of the season. Because they just got creamed by Oklahoma and Memphis. And it was like, is this going to happen? This is year three. This isn't supposed to be 
the script this year. And they changed quarterback to Jalen Rayner, and they've been a different team since then. And sure, some randomness was in this 46-point win, but I honestly, I love it for the Red Wolves fans who have suffered through some pretty tough watches the last couple of years as they have rebuilt this thing really from ground zero. And, you know, I feel a little bit for Texas State because the, the wind has been taken out of their bull eligibility sales, losing some pretty tough games here of late. But I think everyone's going to get to revel when all said and done and they can still have their positives and their win over Baylor to take away. Um, but definitely a big moment. And, and with them heading to Marshall this week, it was a weird spot. I mean, obviously, 77 versus zero points. There's, if you're not leading Arkansas State to win this game in the regular season finale, I don't know what you're looking at. Uh, but before we knew this was going to be the score of these games, like it was kind of like, you need to get this one now because you don't want to have to go rely on getting bull eligibility on the road in one of the further conference games you have to go to. But that's all settled. They're at six wins, and the Sun Belt keeps racking these up. And the rest of the way, you know, Louisiana plays ULM this week. If they win, they go to a bowl game. We'll get to it, but Old Dominion is one went away from six wins in the bowl game. Marshall still has that chance that they can pull off that upset. As many as 12 teams from the Sun Belt could be going bowling. We talked about it when we did the roundup last week, but it definitely bears repeating now that we're closer because I don't even think we even talked about 12. Like we didn't say the number out loud last week. Like it is absurd. It is just absurd. It might not happen. And for Georgia State fans' purposes, I don't think you're going to hope it's going to happen, but it just speaks to the parody of this league. And, you know, this is probably a conversation for the offseason, um, but I would love to have the discussion at some point. Like, you look at the Troy, you look at, you know, James Madison's record, you look at where App and Coastal are, you know, Coastal a win away from being in App, you know, a win and some help away from being in. Obviously, James Madison isn't eligible, but that's the bar. You know, there's 12 teams that are bowling, which means they're sorry. There are 12 teams that could be bowl eligible, which means that they're getting six wins somehow. They're unless they're sweeping, they're out of conference and only getting two, getting two conference wins. A lot of these teams are beat. The Sunbelt is beating up on itself and it's not quite cannibalism. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's cannibalism. But that is where the bar is. You really have to be that much better to be successful in this league. And I think a lot of people talk about how the, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats or whatever. And that's true. But the biggest ships are really the ones that are making the difference maker in this conference. And, you know, that's that is the top of like it's been a couple of teams that have been on the top of the mountain. Um over the years and it's just it's going to be even harder and harder to really have one of those teams that are a consistent winner in the Sun Belt, given that everybody is as good as they are especially when app state doesn't have the drop-off season when it looks like they're about to i mean come on guys all right and of course like we said there is one more regular season game for your panthers regular season finale at old dominion 2 p.m on saturday the Monarchs need this game to get to bowl eligibility as they will enter Game 12 with a 5-6 record after pulling the road upset in Statesboro last Saturday. Their head coach is Ricky Ronnie, who's got a 14-22 record in Norfolk. Uh, ODU has the head-to-head -head advantage in the team's all-time series at 3-1, to 
but Georgia State comes into this one after beating the Monarchs 31-17 in Atlanta last October. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Monarchs? Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to be like a thing where it's like you're taking ODU not seriously. I think it will be a breath of fresh air that they're lining up playing ODU, a team that they feel like they can least match up with. Not like overpower, but after playing LSU and having it be a kind of a game where it's like, well, and this goes for the fans as well, I'm sure, that it's like, this is not LSU with the Heisman quarterback. And so it feels like more of a chance when you're looking at it just as far as like, this is a winnable game. It's on the road um, and a team that is clearly going to be fighting for a lot because they've got a bull opportunity available to them if they can win on their senior day. Um, And it's a team that I think just by their nature, haven't been like the overly impressive, like you look at it and then these certain statistics and it's like, Oh, they do this amazingly well. But then you look at the games they've played and you know, the common opponents, the Georgia States just lost too heavily. They just beat Georgia Southern in Statesboro. They beat app state in Norfolk. They went to Harrisonburg and only lost to JMU by three. I don't want to go back and look at the margins of victory for Georgia State against those common opponents because it's not good. Um, But it speaks to that there isn't anything they necessarily do great. Like they don't have like a a stellar offense and their defense is, I think, above middle of the pack, but not like the best in the conference. But they play complementary football really well. They're battle tested in these type of games because they've played in nine one possession games in 2023. They haven't won all of them, but that is kind of the nature of those type of games that if you're playing a bunch of coin flips, you're not going to win every coin flip. But they have been through games like this to where if it is a bit of a grind on Saturday, it is certainly an environment they're going to have been more prepared for based on the schedule they've gone through. And then the other part of it is just like, does this road trip and does this game and getting that seven and five record after kind of getting beaten down the last few games matter. Like all of that about ODU is true that they need this one. They want this one. And I expect them to come out firing. Does it matter to the players and getting that kind of punch back from all of these blows they've been taking? Because it could get ugly like some of these other games recently, even though there isn't a massive mismatch in any particular area if there is the mismatch in like the, the, the want to in this game. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a very important game for the vibes of Georgia state football. Um, and I think you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I think, I think old dominion is not as good a football team as Georgia state. I don't think that that is a hot take. Um, and I it's think marginal. It's not I, like head and shoulders. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't. I don't say Georgia State is head and shoulders better than Old Dominion. Um, the thing that has always impressed me this year, and I really like that you highlighted it. it was something that I was going to mention. Old Dominion looks very poised um, when they're playing teams that you would think that are better than them. I mean, in their uh, looking through their schedule. Virginia Tech roughed them up at the beginning of the year. Um, we were worried about them after they eked out a win over Texas A&M Commerce. 
other than that, Old Dominion has really not been blown out by anybody but Liberty. Um, and that's kind of what Liberty is doing to a lot of people. They've been very good at keeping games close. They've been very good at just kind of mucking it up and playing, I would say, a very physical style of football, um, but not like one of those overtly. Like, it doesn't look like how App State looks, but it's kind of the same style, if that makes sense. Um, and it's it's one of, it's like when you kind of when you go play the option, like when you've played was it the um, the triple option? It's one of those things where it's like if you have the athletes, like that's not going to be the problem with facing an offense like that. It's just going to be how much did you practice it, and how much do you want to realize that this is probably going to be a game that you have a couple bumps and bruises after it, and. I've been really impressed with ODU throughout this year with how they play. And I, I worry, truthfully, I worry about this game with Georgia State because Georgia State is in a very weird spot. I think earlier in the year, the offense humming, you know, they looked really good. You know, they, it, it might not have been truthfully as score however you want as it appeared, but like you cannot say that the offense struggled early in the year. They really did well. I think the defense, you know, despite the 35 to Rhode Island in the first week, I think that that stretch between UConn and honestly through Louisiana, great. Not just good. Truthfully, it was great. Since then, both sides of the ball have struggled. Um, it, It was better against Southern, obviously, for the offense. But it's been three straight weeks of 44, uh, sorry, of 40 plus points. And then obviously LSU did what LSU did. But the concerning part has been the last three weeks. They've only scored 14 points. Um, We've talked about the ways that the offense needed to get, you know, kind of kick into gear. We've talked about their struggles. Um, But I think the bottom line has just been that the offense is not inspiring a ton of confidence right now. It was better last week against LSU. Absolutely was. It looked better. Um, and I think that's going to be really important in this game against Old Dominion. How, what has Georgia State learned? How have they truthfully improved going into bowl season slash the off season slash a lot of uncertainty, um, in terms of their personnel on the actual field? Um, that's going to be something that is really important to watch because I, I mean, look, I don't say this to be negative. There's a very real chance that Georgia State doesn't care about this game. They should. They absolutely should. But there's a chance that they don't. And that's hopefully not the version of the Panthers that we see. Because I think if they win this game, get to the bowl game and win that game, tie, anytime you have a chance to tie your school record and wins is a good season, objectively. That's just how that works. Um and that is absolutely something worth playing for. And I hope that they continue to play for it. Yeah. I mean, there's another part that we haven't really talked about. I think we haven't had to consider it really until the last couple of weeks. Six wins could not be enough. You know, in the situation we just laid out about all the Sunbelt teams that are bowling, you're reaching near critical mass as far as the 82 bowl slots that there are. And personally, I look at all of the things that have to shake out and, I don't believe that they're going to overfill the bowls. There's a handful of teams that are going to get to their six win this weekend, no matter what. Like you see, uh, it already happened. Um, Eastern Michigan beat Buffalo, who is a three and eight team coming into the game on the road to get to their six win. And there's a few more of those 
Um, like if you have like TCU upset Oklahoma, and if you have, I got to pull up the list now. If you have ODU win this game, and if you have Marshall beat Arkansas State, on down the list. Uh, if you have Mississippi State win the Egg Bowl against Ole Miss, if you have Cal upset UCLA, if Washington State pulls the massive college football implications uh, win over Washington, or Florida does it to Florida State, like if you stack up all of these upsets that happen, there's a world because I think the number is like twelve or thirteen of those have to happen for there to be a full bowl slot. And at that point, there might be a risk because Georgia State doesn't draw great. And then you're in a situation where if they have to pick between two teams and one of them is Georgia State, another one is a team that's maybe closer to the bowl location or that they feel is going to send more fans, then it's a possibility. I think it is less likely if they're a seven-win team, that would be the case. And especially if they do win and are able to thus keep ODU out of the conversation, it might mean that it never even happens. So. I still don't really rate it as a huge chance. I still think even if they lose this game, I don't know that I see all of the results shaking out the way they would have to for that to be the case. But it's like we talked about with Texas State back when they were bowl eligible for and didn't go. There have been more bowl games now, and it's still a real question mark as to whether there'd be more than 82 teams that can get there this week. But the math exists for it to happen, and certainly that would be like the awful cherry on top of like the expired ice cream sundae that the end of the season has been. Um, so you want to avoid that. And the talk has been, you know, this is a different team, different mentality, even this week, still not really entertaining the idea that the bowl eligibility factor for ODU matters. And that this is just like, we're competitors. We want to go out there and win. Like if you aren't interested in that, Maybe you don't want to play football. Maybe you shouldn't play a sport at all was basically the message from Coach Elliott in the media call on Monday. But like that is just Monday. You know, we have to see them match that on Saturday because I said a couple of weeks ago, like back when we thought beating App State, there was a prospect of or even winning against JMU. It's like eight and four to finish this year would feel a lot different than six and six, and even a good bit different than seven and five. And now that first scenario is out the window. Um, I don't think that seven and five is going to heal everything because when you're six and one and you finish with just one more win than that, obviously there's going to be disappointment. I still think there is a massive gulf between the finishing seven and five here, getting a win against ODU and finishing six and six, losing five straight to end the year, and then possibly getting left home. Like, obviously, there's a difference there. Um, you can't undo the past, but this is the one opportunity they have left to do something about it. And um, it's certainly there for the taking. It's certainly a winnable game. But they're going to have to show up for it. And uh, it would be the first time they'd play a full, like, four-quarter situation since the win over Marshall, really. And so I can understand the trepidation and because just we haven't seen it. And LSU scoreboard aside was closer, especially on offense. So there's reasons to believe that they could maybe keep it going together. But I can understand not totally buying into the idea it's going to happen. It is certainly going to be interesting to watch on Saturday because 
one of these teams has a real tangible thing to play for, the other one is going to have to find that in, in internally as a team, individually. And um, we shall see how it plays out. Um, the thing about this that, uh, you know, we have kind of strayed away from the X's and O's side. I'm pulling up my stats right now. Georgia State is now paying the the LSU tax. I mean, the passing numbers on defense were never great, but uh, they have jettisoned up to like the one of the bottom five in EPA is a passing defense. Um, success rate EPA per game. All these advanced stats are terrible for the defensive numbers now in the passing game. ODU has similar, though less bad, numbers against the passing game. And Georgia State's been pretty decent most of the year passing the book. Obviously, that got away from them in these games that we've just talked about. But there was a time, and we saw some of the LSU game, that they were able to get that going. And so, as far as the matchup goes, I'm interested to see how they're able to defend against an ODU passing offense that is not incapable, but not world beating when they've had their struggles as a defense the last couple of games. And then conversely, what opportunities are there in the passing game for Georgia state? Because you know, you mentioned the Liberty game, they lost to Liberty 38 to 10 Liberty was up 35, three at halftime. We haven't seen Georgia state really be in a position where you could say like, they're going to do this, but, ODU is a team that if you're able to jump out on top of them, you'd feel pretty comfortable. They're not necessarily suited to fight back against you. And if you're able to build a big lead. And so if you're able to hit a couple of explosives in the passing game early and get a comfortable lead and kind of get them not in the comfortable in the battle tested in the one possession games they've been playing all year, that might be the opportunity. And I, it seems silly to say that now because of how they played the last few weeks, but we did see a version of that team you know, scored 41 against Charlotte that was moving the ball, running and passing against Coastal that was able to put up 41 against Marshall that could do that. And certainly I think that would be the best chance for Georgia State. Just, I think that could be how they could play the game on their terms rather than it being kind of how ODU is going to want to play it, which might be advantage Monarchs. And, you know... I think it's it's tough because you look at a lot of the ways that teams have moved the ball on Georgia State and like it's it's kind of like what I said last year like it really does feel like the bones of good defense is there and then you actually look at the numbers and you're you're really surprised you know I think honestly I I'll be I don't know how ODU is going to try to move the ball yes they'll pass yes they'll run you know but you know you know the coach speak but this isn't an old dominion team that excels passing the ball through the air you know I mean we know how we know about Darren's abilities um ODU is just under Georgia State in terms of passing yards per game uh, you know obviously Georgia State is a run first team so that would make a lot of sense that Darren would be somewhere down there, but it doesn't make a lot of sense that ODU would be up there because, you know, they, they're they a team that likes to run the ball. They're a team that has a good bit of attempts. They're fifth in the Sun Belt in attempts per game with running the ball. So, but it's not like they're having the most success with either of those. You know, it's they're definitely lower middle of the pack in terms of their success rate with running the ball. So, 
I think they're going to try to pass on Georgia State, even though that's not how they primarily move the football. Um, and we'll see just how successful they are with it. I mean, the defense to me, like, yes, the offense can get going and yes, the offense needs to be better. Don't get me wrong, but the defense is absolutely the part of the ball that I'm looking at the most here with Georgia State. If the defense doesn't show up, it's going to be a long afternoon. Yeah, because even if I lay out the scenario like I did about, okay, maybe you jump out to a big lead. I would still probably bet on this being a game played out in like the, the teens and the twenties for each of the teams scoring wise. But if ODU's doing that and Georgia State's giving up some big plays and ODU scoring the thirties, then well that that that's your ball game right there. And you know, for ODU defensively, just singling out the guy uh, we talked about him last year, I'm sure. Their all world tackler, Jason Henderson, who has 166 tackles in 11 games, just a hair over 15 a game. Very possibly his last game as an ODU Monarch because, I mean, he's got to be on NFL attention. The, the numbers he's been putting up, there is a chance he could declare and go get drafted. Be one of the better drafted players out of the Sun Belt this year. So certainly going to have to have an eye on 42 in the middle of the defense. Yeah, you're right in that. I mean, the numbers don't jump out. It's like I said, and I almost feel like Georgia State and Old Dominion are kind of like brethren in a sense that I feel like they get so much less pub than other teams in the Sun Belt, basically any other team in the Sun Belt. And I feel like they have kind of been fine with that. Like, I feel like like they are cool with being like, oh, yeah, you guys think you're better. That's fine. Uh, we're still going to win this game anyway, and you're going to look up at the fourth quarter, and it's going to be a one-score game, and we're going to be the guys that are making those plays to... Uh... It's an interesting test case because, you know, if they lose this game to Georgia State, they will have finished 5-7. and seven. They obviously won't go to a bowl game, but they will have played App State close and won that game. They will have played James Madison close and only lost by three. They would have played Georgia Southern close and won that game by three, you know, those are all results that I think Georgia State fans would have been more happy with, you know, even maybe at the expense of a win here or there, if they were the ones fighting for bowl eligibility at this spot. So it's just interesting how seasons can diverge and you can have, you know, in all those games, they were more successful than Georgia State, but Georgia State has gotten to that six win mark uh, because of the other games that they were able to win. Um, just kind of interesting. And yeah, I, I guess. I wrap it up by saying, we're just going to see. I, there's so much we could, we have said and can say and could continue to say. It might be pretty apparent from like the first or second quarter who is in this game. And, and I hope it's both teams because I think it could be a fun, scrappy game if everyone shows up to play. But, you know, this will be a test for Coach Elliott and his staff to get them up for this game or you know, then I think the off season is going to take a real, real, real turn um, in a way that I don't think anyone talking on or listening to this podcast wants it to go. Yeah. Uh, Let's just say the post game show is going to be real zesty. If uh, Georgia state does not come away with a good win here. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to basketball in overtime Georgia state defeats little rock 93 90 was shaping up to get ugly, though, as the Panthers trailed by 8 at halftime, and that Trojan lead got as high as 17 with just 14 minutes left. 
but GSU stormed back into the game thanks to a seven-minute stretch of holding Little Rock without a made basket and 22 for 22, second half from the free-throw line, forcing overtime when Brendan Tucker hit free-throws 21 and 22 with 16 seconds left in regulation. In OT, it was the Jaden Turner show as he hit a go-ahead three, got a steal, forced in a putback, and drew a charge in quick succession as the Panthers took control. When a last-gasp game-tying three-pointer at the buzzer missed, GSU won their second game against Little Rock in four days and improved to 3-2 and two on the season. Gentlemen, thoughts on this Little Rock game? So what, what was that phrase that we were talking about, I think, uh, last year, maybe two years ago? Um, I, I, this isn't a bit, like, truthfully. It's a program win, I think, is what people call it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That felt like a Georgia State program win. Absolutely no business. One, getting down as much as 17. We'll talk about that. But Georgia State looks completely out of sorts from a lot of this game. And then you kind of looked up halfway through the second half and like, oh, this is an eight-point deficit again. Oh, this is a three-point deficit again. Oh, Georgia State just took the lead again. It, like, they just kept chipping away, chipping away. It was at the free throw line. It was them tightening up on defense. I wish I could have had a conversation with Coach Hayes on what he saw because they made one change between the first half and the second half. And, like, as much as people get on coaches for not adjusting or trying something and it doesn't work, more needs to be made about when coaches change something and it works immediately because the press completely took the Trojans out of anything that they were doing on offense and it looked like a completely different team and that is what I mean when I say that was a program win because that's the type of Georgia State basketball that we have seen over the years yeah I mean when they're coming off a 10 win season and a lot of these players have not been around for some of those games that you know they went to the tournament and all that I don't know that you can call it necessarily a program win you know capital P capital W but I do think you can maybe be look at it in the sense of we might be through the, the absolute valley of what last season was because this team got backed into a real big corner, mostly partially of their own making. Although Little Rock is a good offensive team, that is the side of the ball that they definitely have more dudes that are you know making plays for. But they got in that situation and they clawed their way out. And it certainly was not a game last year's team was going to win. They got in a couple of those situations last year and the deficit got worse. And they got just blown out there in the second half of games. And it just got completely non-competitive. Teeny worry there is going to happen in this game. But at a certain point, it was clear they were at least going to fight to the end. And then, again, through some more little mistakes here or there, they did get over the finish line, got the win. Um, felt like an important win. Felt like a really proof of concept that the guys that got brought in were the guys that needed to come in. And the first person to mention there is Jaden Turner. Took over overtime. And the other part that Jordan did not mention, Dewan Odom fouled out with about three minutes left in regulation. And Georgia State was still at that point able to put enough plays together, mostly getting in the free throw line, which they did in abundance in the second half and then overtime made those shots, and then it felt like even then, through some of those possessions, they were waiting for just someone to start making some plays. And you would have assumed it would have been Lucas Taylor or Brendan Tucker, um, and Brendan had a good game, but it felt like maybe they were just looking for that person who was just going to 
make plays. And it just, Jaden Turner in overtime was just a player who was making plays. Like, I don't think that his three-point percentage is going to be great when all said and done. It looks pretty good as shooting, you know, shooting motion-wise, but I think he's now three for nine from three on the year. That one doesn't matter. He's three for 11 on the year from three. That one went in, and that was an important moment. It gave them their first lead in a long time in the game. Followed up with a play at the defensive end twice, and he got an offensive putback on another player's miss. And they had to sweat it out a little bit. They had to make some free throws down the stretch to hold on to the win. But that sequence gave them a two-possession lead, which they held most of the way of overtime. I wanted to start with the win stuff and like the, the good closeout. Um, they weathered Dewan being out well enough over time, and that was important to see because he had been taking on the primary defense on Little Rock's um, guards through much of that comeback, and so losing him could have been a blow. First half was pretty messy. Um, defensively, I think that they got to ditch the strategy of speeding teams up, at least until they're able to play that type of press defense better. Because we've seen it in a couple of games now. It's out against Belmont now in this one where it seems like the idea has been get them in a press, let them advance it quickly and take too quick of a shot, maybe force a bad pass, get a turnover that way. And in this game, Little Rock was just beating them down the court and getting way easy looks, and it was just not a recipe for success. So when you mentioned the press is something that Coach Jonas leaned on, it feels like a subtle difference than just like a press because the press they were running before wasn't working. It felt like they got down in the half court of defense in the second half, and they really just started manning up a lot better, and that ended up being the difference. And there was some pressure stuff worked in there for sure, but it felt like an important switch to me to see him realize how badly it was going with the trying to do the full court stuff. And that was the difference in the second half is they completely, I mean, the two best players for little rock uh, Robinson and Gordon were combined 13 of 15 in the first half. No question, no reason, no reason to doubt why they scored 45 in those circumstances in the first half. Cause that shooting percentage is just not workable at all. But they figured some stuff out in the second half. And then when it got to crunch time, we saw Turner, we saw Tucker, we saw a handful of guys, Dewan before he fouled out, Tanari Lane again against Little Rock, who's he's never going to play anyone else, um, make plays. It was a real team effort to get over the line. And uh, like I said, it felt important. It feels like one we could look back at is like uh, last year's team would lose it. Maybe this year's team gets a bump from having gotten through that one with a win. Made for a nice bus ride home, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure as well. And I think you're starting to see this team kind of evolve. The, no, I, I don't, I don't want to say exactly that because it's still too new. But I think there's some data to kind of put to rest that this is going to be a team that repeats last year. They might still not end up being where Panther fans want them to be, and that's fine. You know, sometimes this takes time. But I feel pretty confident that, like you said, last year's team would have lost this game. 
Um, I, I honestly, I disagree with your assessment of how that game would have gone. I think specifically in the out of conference, they would have came back and got it down to like four or five, but then the wheels would have came off at the end there. Um, and that would have extended the lead. I think that part was, you know, that part is That's important fair. because it was they, only in this conference play that things really just kind of spiraled. Right. Um, and I, I, that that is an improvement. What I said that this team is better than last year. Obviously, we can talk all day in the off season about theoretical guys and oh, this guy was a sharpshooter at wherever he you know obviously he's going to do that for Georgia State. Well, you know, guys get injured and you know sometimes things aren't actually a scheme fit. So I'm I'm glad what I'm seeing. I think it's going to be a situation where a lot of players that were brought in do the things that they were brought in to do and they are successful with it. I mean, the three point shooting has looked so much better. Um, last couple of games, it still hasn't even been great in terms of percentage yeah, six of 18 today, but 33%. Yeah, honestly, like, and I'm not going to try and single out a guy. Lucas Taylor is the only one I feel like was maybe forcing them today. Snarry lane was three of six. And I felt like, all but maybe a couple of them were in rhythm, good looks. Same with Jaden Turner. I mean, the one he hit was a great kick out to him, and he hit the shot. Um, Jermaine Mann, the same. He isn't really creating his own threes. He's catching shooting. I, I think that that has also been important in the, the three-point, because I think the numbers could still tick up to a number you'd love them to be at for the season. I mean, 33% is still not great. And on the season, 30.8% from three as a team. I think that those will keep going up because I think that for the most part, you're seeing guys take the right threes. And I don't mean to just single out a one guy, but I mean, Lucas is eight of 29, 27.6% from three. And I feel like you can point to a few where he would just heat check feeling himself. You get it because you see the shots he's able to make maybe a little bit calling his number too much in those situations. And that's the one thing to, to look out for. But it was a slow start. Tenari was shooting 28%, I think, field goals for the first couple of games, but he's getting that Little Rock bump now, and now he's up to 36% from three. The last two games, he has been the leading scorer, and he's really been a guy they've been able to lean on. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, and a lot of these numbers will have to stabilize a little bit. Um, checking uh, the ESPN databases, obviously today hasn't been updated, but... Right now, Georgia State would be 11th in the conference in three-point percentage. They're shooting about 22 a game, which is admittedly lower in the conference than um, some of the other teams. Last year, they were dead last in percentage at under 30, um, and they were third to last in terms of attempts per game. They shot essentially 18 per game. Um, I think... By my, you know, obviously not a basketball analyst or anything, but I think they are taking more good shots and you have situations where like a Taylor is forcing the shot. So the percentages aren't evening out because I think there was a couple of games where they took good shots and they weren't falling. And since then, that has kind of corrected. I feel like a lot of the wide open shots that they have taken or the shots in rhythm that they have taken and missed have still been good shots lately. Um, so that's definitely something that I am monitoring because it on the surface, like the last couple of games, it's felt like, yeah, this has not actually improved. But you definitely can see that it has improved. Um 
even if the the specific numbers don't look that much better than last year. So definitely going to monitor that going forward as they finish off, as they continue into out of, out of conference play and then into conference play. And I mean, the number I talked about, the free throw percentage, I mean, you look across the board, Lucas Taylor, 12 of 13. So I just criticized a little bit, but he is doing his job and then some from the line in a small sample. He's 92%. Uh, Leslie and Carolum, 13 of 16 from the free throw line on the season. Tanari Lane, 13 of 15, 87%. Dewan Odom, 6 of 7. Uh, Brendan Tucker, 15 of 19, 79%. You, know, you go up and down. Even Ed Namoko, 8 of 12, two-thirds of his free throws, making them. Same with Jaden Turner, 9 of 15. Those are your worst numbers, and those guys can stay in the, the 70s, the 80s, especially if Lucas can say in the nineties, you can live with sixties being your worst numbers there. And it's another reason maybe to point to that. You're not as worried about the free throw percent or the three point percentage, because it's not always a causation, but there's sometimes a correlation with those numbers. And you'd expect to see some of those tick up. Um, like you say, the numbers are going to balance out and it was important. I think to see them, go so aggressively to the rim and go for these foul shots and go to line and make their free throws in the second half, because it's felt like they haven't been forcing it from outside. And I think that's step one to being a good three point shooting team is not just taking them whenever you can, because inherently you're going to have some bad looks mixed in there, but certainly you turn it around this weekend against Charlotte. I might have to retract something I said in the previous pod that, Oh, Belmont's definitely the second best team behind BYU in the non-conference. I think Charlotte is. Uh, Charlotte has got a top 100 defense when you look at the Ken Palm numbers. Uh, they beat a decent Utah Valley mid-major team, 62-45. George Mason, another good mid-major, they beat on a neutral site, 54-49. They battled UCF to an overtime loss in the same uh, tournament they're at. I don't know which one it is on Monday. They enter 3-2 and two to Saturday's game which thankfully this time does not overlap with the football. It is a 7 p.m. tip up in the Queen City, so can lock in on both games with equal measure. You don't have to dual screen it or just outright ignore one of the games until later, like maybe was the case uh, with the Western Michigan basketball game. But this will be a team that will test the offense. And so in a way, it's going to test Georgia State's defense because if they are unable to you know, match that intensity and not able to keep the uh, Georgia State in the game, if Charlotte is keeping it low scoring as far as Georgia State goes, then this one could turn on them pretty early. And so all around, just interested to see what the response is, which with what is, I think, going to be the best team they've played so far this year. Again, another road game, a good test. Um, Certainly would go a long way if they win this game, but kind of like with the Belmont one, I'm I'm interested just to see how they compete. All right, and that's just about all the time we have for today. But of course, got to get you informed on everything happening in Georgia State athletics this week. A little bit of a lighter slate because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but today, Thanksgiving, as of the release of this podcast, women's basketball takes on Elon at noon on ESPN Plus. If you are an early listener, you still have time to catch that game. And then on Saturday, of course, football at Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia at 2 p.m. on ESPN Plus. Or you can listen to Dave Cohen on the call on WRSFM 88.5. And then 6 p.m. 
men's basketball at Charlotte. And that one will be on ESPN plus as well. Moving on to Tuesday, women's basketball travels up to Western Carolina to face the Catamounts at 7 p.m. That game will also be on ESPN plus. But that's everything on the aggregate calendar for this upcoming week. Uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, hope you and yours have an enjoyable one. Uh, we, of course, here at the Thursday Night Podcast are very thankful for you listening to this hour and five minute epic of a podcast this week but we really appreciate the support we truly do uh, very thankful for you and hope that you have a good holiday once again and we'll look forward to recapping the action of this weekend's games on the post game show which should come out end of the weekend or monday yep have a good thanksgiving and go panthers